This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Catch the Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time. This week, Marsha Yale, National President of the Alliance for the Equality of Blind Canadians, and Keenan Weller, uh, co-leader uh, co- of Live Work Play, previews the 6th Annual, we were talking about it earlier, International Day of Persons with Disabilities Conference scheduled for December 3rd. That's The Pulse this Thursday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern here on AMI-audio, 10.30 a.m. Pacific, and also available on your favorite podcast platform and YouTube. Kelly McDonald here with Ramya Muthan. It's the fourth Monday of the month, which means we're checking in with Mark Rankin, and he's our orientation and mobility specialist who joins us to talk about um, all kinds of things that have to do with O&M and the community and Mark, we last month gave people a bit of a an overview, right? A heads up on the kinds of conversations that we'll have. But today you wanted to cover something very specific, and it's your experiences working with the Argus II retinal implants. Um, so I'm curious to, to cover this and to hear about why you wanted to cover it. But before we get started, not even on the product, can we hear about the company behind the product? Because this is uh, the launch off point for for context on why you picked this. Yeah, so um, the, the company that, that came up with, with the Argus uh, to retinal uh, prosthetic implant was, was Second Sight. Um, Mm-hmm. And kind of the reason why I talk, want to talk about them is because they went through uh, a huge uh, and unfortunate restructuring during um, the financial uh, difficulties that, that the, uh, a lot of people had during COVID, where they lost funding and then they had to um, end up, there was actually a, a merger that fell through and then the, finally another merger that uh, they did do with another sort of biopharmaceutical company. Um, and because of that, it, it came out, and you know, the mainstream media picked up on some of the issues uh, resulting from that, with the um, sort of lack of support for for people who had signed up for this sort of experimental uh, procedure and device. Um, and I was actually one of my kids who came across it and said, "Hey, didn't didn't you have people who had this sort of thing?" I was like, "Oh my gosh, yeah." Um, right. So yeah, I, I thought it would be kind of an interesting uh, topic because it's some, it's a, certainly. Um, there's a lot of interest in these directions, right? Where technology is becoming the fix for pretty much for everything. Um, yep. But there's there's a lot of pitfalls with it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm. Uh, so the company went through their restructuring. So tell us what the device is. Maybe we can start there as well, and then we can get into the context of technology and the pitfalls and um, how much we're on board or off board of it. Yeah. So, so the Argus itself um, was sort of a. It, I mean, it was it's a complicated system. It's um, essentially what you had was um, uh, a set of glasses um, that were connected to a VPU, a visual processing unit, you know, which is a little kind of computer on a belt. Um, but the real, the real heart of the thing was a a sort of. Uh, electrodes that were on a little array, 10 by 6 array of these electrodes 
that were implanted, surgically implanted directly into uh, the retina around the macula, right, of, of people's okay. eyes. So it only worked for folks who had RP and were at the point where they had bare light perception or, or, or less. Um, and what it was doing was stimulating, like, I think the, it was sort of the deeper layers of the retina. Um, and what people would perceive was was just sort of, I mean, it was called black and white vision, but it was really light and dark vision. So um, okay. you would see these sort of 10 by 6 array would light up a little bit. If, if there was a high contrast environment, you saw something sort of light against the dark background, it would show up there. And you could manipulate the image to the way you could, say, with a, a closed circuit uh, television uh, so people use CCTVs as a reading aid. You could you could switch the polarity to do black and white, and you could enhance contrast to a few little things like that. Um, the vision it produced was not really. I mean, it got picked up initially uh, in mainstream media as kind of like a bionic eye, mm-hmm. right? So um, mm-hmm. they interviewed a guy. I think he was in North Carolina or South Carolina. They did quite a few operations. There's only about a little over 350 people worldwide. Um, had the procedure and the and the implant um, uh, in a f- fair number in Europe, uh, in the states, and then I think up here in Canada, it was just in Toronto and Montreal where they were doing the operations. But um, there was a guy who got interviewed after he got the implant, and the whole interview was picked up on one of those morning TV shows, and it was, of course, the guy saying, "Oh my God, I can see," and his wife saying, "You can see," and he's like, "Oh my God, yes, I can see." Well, yeah, so he's seeing light and dark uh, in a very small array, but it's people hear that and they think this guy's seeing, right? Um, so it created some really unrealistic expectations amongst the general public. And we had all sorts of people contacting saying, oh, you know, my, my wife, I wanted to be able to see again. So would she be a good candidate for this? And, you know, what he, what he was, when he said, I see you would say, I can see my wife on the couch. What he was saying was I can see, my wife's wearing something light on a dark couch, and I can see a light yeah. <laughs> portion in my in my visual field against a dark background. Now my right. wife was talking, so I know it's my wife. But mm-hmm. had she left and thrown a you know a blanket there, he would have probably said, "There's my wife." <laughs> right? Yeah, well, and so, you had to be taught to interpret what that what the eye was picking up. Whereas people would think, especially once it was branded the bionic eye, they would think back to the 1976 million dollar man series and, Oh my gosh, it must've been like Colonel Austin's eye and not not true. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, contextualized, you could, it it did make a big difference for a lot of people functionally um, because, you know, things that would happen that would be quite useful from a rehab perspective would be say you're waiting to cross the street and, you know, you're worried about veering. Well, you could see if the if the zebra stripes or the ladder stripes on the crossing um, were still fresh, they would stand out. So you could see something white there. Now, you couldn't see the zebra stripes, but you could, you know, in that context, assume those were the zebra stripes, use that to kind of stay straight as you're crossing the street. That's a huge difference, right? Right. So potentially, you know, could make yeah. someone a lot safer. So and and there was you, different you, stages too, right, Marks? And and obviously, each person would have a different experience with it too. So I, you know, I I know some people felt as being part of history, part of the the process of of let's see where this goes from here in these early days, that it was successful um, as as that starter. Now back to the drawing board. Yeah. So. You know, I, I talked to different different folks who've been through it, and they they all have different kind of perspectives, right? Somebody were like, "Well, we knew it was experimental. We knew we were kind of taking a chance." So then there those sort of people, but there's others who kind of really felt like 
it's just going to get better. They're going to keep improving on it, you know, and eventually, you know, more is going to happen. And this is going to be kind of something fantastic going forward. Um, and the other thing is like some people who didn't get a lot of function out, it still just, just felt very comforted to have that little bit of stimulation, that visual, visual stimulation again, even though it didn't maybe provide a ton of function for them in terms of uh, accomplishing activities of daily living or whatever. But it was just that sensation they really enjoyed, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, now, the, the other thing is when you do see uh, at, at sort of this cutting edge of, especially from, from medicine, um, everybody is going into it with different expectations. So I, I remember going to a conference and being kind of, there was a small rehab panel at the end, uh, but most of it was the surgeons talking about doing it. And their interest is not really in improving rehabilitation outcomes. Their interest is in trying a new surgery and being someone who's doing that cool new thing, right? So <laughs> yeah. there's one guy from Texas and he was saying, they were talking about sutures and he said, you know, this fellow's all right. I know we all want to be the, the guy who ropes the calf and wins the rodeo, but I think we should do an extra suture. <laughs> so that's kind of their thing. They're, they're, they're kind of like the cowboys out there you know, like trying something new, right? Um, so the, from the rehab end, we're sort of like, well, if it doesn't improve, demonstrably improve your function and what you're doing day-to-day, sort of your, your, your already existing rehab skills, then what's the point? But then I talk to people who, that's not what it's about for them. It's not necessarily. So there's a lot of sort of um, contrasting expectations from different people going into it. And it's hard for, you know, to, to sort out, there's, there's not one answer, right? Like I'm no, a rehab no. specialist, so that's what I want to see happen, yeah. but that's right. not necessarily the case for everybody. And people had to temper themselves on being excited, I'm sure. And some others totally saw what it was for and thought, you know what, I can't see enough anymore. Anyway, my vision's going to, uh, to, to nil. I want to take part in this. So then when we look at it, Mark, let's get into the biomedical future of vision loss treatment and how, for you, in the way you see it, how it relates to rehabilitation. Like, how has your experience been teaching with this tool? Mm-hmm. So, you know... It's interesting because I think immediately upon using it, for the for the ones who got good function out of it, they acclimatized to it so quickly that they didn't realize um, that it was supplementing their sort of uh, their the techniques that they already had to, to accomplish stuff. And I remember asking uh, previous, so one person I said, you know, I'm, I I didn't work with you before you had this, so I'm just curious to get the perspective of somebody who has. So I asked another uh, orientation mobility specialist to come and work with her previously. And she was blown away because she said, well, she came downstairs and she walked right through the middle of the doors because before she would trail and find the edge, but she could see mm-hmm. that contrast because there's a frame around the door. And when it opened, she could see that it opened up. Um, she could stay in the middle of the sidewalk. She, she could see some contrast between the sidewalk and the grass around her condo. So there's a lot that immediately she just, it just became the new normal for her. She didn't experience that as, as a enhanced function anymore, right? It just became something that she did. And she had good skills before that anyway. So I think probably she was already functioning at a high level. So um, it wasn't revolution in, in the way she functioned, but it was it was definitely significant to somebody who'd seen her before and after, right? So there's definitely an observable difference. Um, the other thing is, you know, the there were a lot of barriers to improving um, the device. At, I guess once you get um, authorization to use it, it takes a long time to get um, a device 
approved. So by the time that sometimes these things are approved, they're already planning the next device, right? So, but it can't be implemented in the market yet because they don't have approval yet um, from a medical standpoint. Like the the so whatever is being used is always a little bit behind what the kind of the next thing that they're working on. Um, and then what it happens is what you've got to do is then work to improve the thing that you have that's already been implanted versus, oh, I've got this really, we've already come up with this next idea that we think is even better. But since there's no approval for that there, we're going to keep working with what we have. But at some point, um, I mean, it's the nature of, of, of this sort of uh, cutting edge is that, you know, you yep. don't get funding unless you get a new, a new device that gets people excited again and, and get, and you get, you get the uh, capital behind you, right? Mm. So, and that's part of what happened too, is because they had a new device called the Orion um, that was going to bypass the retina and stimulate the brain directly, but with a very similar sort of uh, uh, equipment. Um, but the advantage was that you wouldn't need to have someone who still had some retinal function the way that uh, people at RP did, right? Who were the only ones who uh, the Argus II would be viable for. It's interesting because, as you're saying, there needs to be a next thing. There always is going to be a next thing because it's technology keeps improving, keeps progressing. We keep understanding the way that uh, our our vision works, and all these different conditions are being explored and researched on as well. But it also all of that also means that people need to volunteer and take part in what's really just experimental, right? Like that's that's just the simple way of putting it. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you know that. Yeah, the people I worked with were very good, like uh, from Second Sight, in you know explaining things. But it's really tough when people have this underlying hope that they're going to see again in, in the traditional sense of, of sight. You know, just like when you when you get a new app, you don't you don't go through the fine print. You just say accept, yeah. accept, accept, right? So yeah. there's always especially that element, if you're like, excited. Are you getting through to them? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, and that's the thing, and that's why we go back to the very beginning is when you were talking about what it means, you know, what this device means, what it can do, and what it means to each individual, because there is no, you know, full slate. There's just what everybody goes through individually right now, and then that comparison, comparative um, information. Mark, we got to wrap it there, but this has been really thought provoking, and maybe we can continue some kind of conversation about this in the future. Appreciate your time. Yeah, great talking to you too. Mark Rankin is our orientation and mobility instructor. Check him out on the fourth Monday of the month. Boy, lots of great conversations over that in that time uh, that people people were sharing. That's for sure. Folks, we'll step aside for a moment. And coming up, Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.